evening, Psalm chapter number 86. After all the technological problems in Sunday school, I brought some paper, but that's just a backup, you know. Thankful for the opportunity to preach, of course, as always. As Pastor Steve said, we're not happy that Pastor Lytell has COVID, but we're happy for the opportunity to preach, and it seems like it's been happening a little bit more and more lately, and we're thankful for the opportunity as, as the Lord allows, and we believe that God knows everything, and it all is working out for a purpose, and so the way God has orchestrated it to develop is the way we're dealing with it, and we're going to thank God for it. Throughout all of it, as I was putting on this this tie today, nothing flashy. It's not real skinny, as some of the ones I have. But it reminded me of the first time <laughs> that I preached here, <laughs> because this is the tie I wore the first night, the evening service that I preached six years ago. This May, I think it, I believe it was May, um, May six years ago was the first time I preached on this, and I don't go back and listen to it if it's up on the web. I don't even know. I'm scared to go look at it, but it's amazing when I talk to, when I talk to, to people, and how long have you and Heather been here? Six years? Time flies. Time absolutely flies, and it feels like just yesterday, I was walking through the door, and uh, one of the first nights that we showed up was Pirate VBS. By the way, we're doing Pirate VBS again this year, so you can look forward to that. But I come in, and I think I saw Mr. Not in an earring, not like a fake one. I think he had one through there from his past days, and if I'm correct, I don't know. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I saw, you know, man, they had, you know, the Jack Sparrow eyeliner, and it was just wild and crazy, and I thought, what in the world have I got myself into? And, but it's been a great time. And I'm thankful God's allowed me to be here, be part of the, uh, the ministry here. And I'm thankful that God has allowed me to work alongside Pastor Bill, of course, Pastor Moon for all those years and now with Thomas Sweat. And it's been a great opportunity and a great privilege. So let's look at Psalm chapter number 86. We're going to read the whole thing, 17 verses, but hopefully it won't take that long. But I want you to get an overview of what this passage is about. Psalm 86, verse number one says, Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend unto the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods, there is none like unto thee. O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and dost wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee 
O my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy towards me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen up against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. Verse 17, show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast helped me and comforted me. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful once again for the privilege to be able to open your word. We thank you that we have a copy of the word of God in our language. Many times we take it for granted, but this evening as we look uh, into this chapter penned by the psalmist David, may you give us some insight, may you speak to our hearts through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme verse, I would say, of this passage, or the one that sticks out to me is, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. When I'm in trouble, I'm going to call on God because he is going to answer me. When I was preparing for this sermon, I came across a, a little a story of a woman who had a severely ill child at home, and she left the child with the babysitter and ran to the pharmacy to go pick up a prescription that would help heal her child. And so she rushes to the pharmacy. She gets there. She gets the medication, heads back out to her car, but finds that she has locked her keys in her vehicle. So the babysitter calls about that moment and says, please come quick. Your daughter is, is very sick. She, she, may even, she may even die. You need to hurry. You need to get back. And the woman said, but I've locked my keys in my car. I don't know what in the world I should do. And the babysitter said, why don't you look around and see if you can find a, a, a coat hanger that you can bend and shape and try to pop open the door. And so she says, okay. And she hung up the phone. She looks around in the parking lot. She found an old rusty coat hanger. So she goes and she tries to wiggle it down into the, uh, in between the, the window to try to pop open the lock, but to no avail, she could make it happen. So the babysitter calls again, please, please hurry, hurry. Your daughter is very sick. She's getting worse by the moment. Please come. She needs this medicine or it might be too late. So the woman didn't know what to do. So she said a prayer. She says, God, please send somebody by that can help me unlock my vehicle. So at that moment, a rusty old pickup truck, a little four by four, looked like it was from Arkansas, came pulling up into the, into the parking lot in a rough Big six foot five man with tattoos and a gnarly beard came, gets out of the truck and starts walking across the parking lot. And she says, surely God, this isn't the person that you're going to have help me at this moment. But she goes over there and tries anyway, says, sir, would you please come over and would you please help me try to unlock my vehicle? And he says, I've got this coat hanger. I think, you know, maybe if you try, you'll be able to get it undone. The man says, okay. And he gets the coat hanger and he wiggles it down. And in 15 seconds, he's got the door the lock, he's got the door, that was my son, the, got the door uh, unlocked and the woman is able to get in her vehicle. And so she asks a question, man, God sent you by just at the right, right time. How in the world did you learn how to unlock a vehicle and do that that fast? He says, well, four hours ago, I actually got released out of the penitentiary. <laughs> and she says, what were you in for? For stealing cars. 
And so she says, God didn't just answer my prayer. He sent me a professional. (laughs) And so she was in trouble and she called on God. Often we think that God answers prayer in three different ways. Three different ways, yes, no, and wait. But actually there's a fourth way, yes, no, wait, and you have got to be kidding me. And any Christian who has been around long enough knows that God sometimes answers prayers in unique ways that we are not expecting. He's outside the box of the realm of our perspective. And so David in this passage here, he's overwhelmed. He has enemies that are rising up against him and trying to overtake him. It seems as if we read it in the latter verses that they are trying to take his life. And so he says this prayer to God and ask God to help him. In the day of his trouble, he's calling upon God. So in this auditorium, there's folks who are overwhelmed. This message is going out over Facebook Live. It's going on our church website. And many people are going to hear this message. And there's many people who are hurting. There's many people who have troubles in their life. There's many people, Brother Steve, that are in the wilderness of life. And if I can encourage you, anything to do when you are facing trouble is call upon God. I believe he will answer you. And so there's, there's some things here I want us to see throughout this passage. There's no way that we are going to be able to cover everything. We could probably spend three or four weeks going through this um, everything in these 17 verses, but there's no way we're going to do that. So we're going to take the big picture things, some things that stuck out to me that I hope God will be, uh, that I hope that will be a blessing to you and that God will speak to your heart through it. So the first thing that I see throughout this passage is that David, he acknowledged his position compared to God's position. He acknowledged his position. Verse number one, he says, bow down thy ear, O Lord, and hear me, bow down thy ear and hear me. When I read that, I thought about almost as if a peasant is outside the gates of a castle and as if he's, he's looking up to where the king's bedroom chambers are and he's outside and he's yelling, king, king, would you please hear me? He's begging, he's pleading. He doesn't, almost as if, almost as if you know, he doesn't even know if it's, if it's gonna work, but he's calling out and saying, would you just hear what I have to say? I'm in desperate need, king, would you please hear me? I believe that there's times in our lives when we do that to God, that we look up and and we realize that God is way above who we are. His power is far beyond ours. I don't believe that God could have had a better person, a better person write this passage than David. Dozens and dozens of authors have penned the Bible, but there was none that fit more into this category. I believe that we could have got anything more out of than David because of his position. David, he had the best counselors. He had the best advisors, but who was he trying to get counsel and advice and help from? Who? Was it the surrounding nations that he could have probably called upon to rally and help him? No, he was trying to grab a hold of God's ear reach up to heaven, and gain the ear of God. His position, David's position, he says in verse number one, he says, I'm poor. He says, I'm needy. I'm poor and I'm needy. Humility is a great way to get God's attention. The Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. He's poor. 
As I said, God couldn't use a better example than of David. Was David poor? Certainly not. He was not poor. He had the most wealth, I would assume, in all of the country. He had the most power, the most, uh, the most assets right at his fingertips. He was not poor, but David's humility was understanding that that wasn't really what mattered with his position to God whatsoever. He understood that just because he was one of the most powerful kings in the known world at that time, it didn't mean that he somehow gained a higher position and he had access to the ear of God because of his wealth, because of his talent, because of his ability. It wasn't about any of those things. It was about that God was merciful. I truly believe that the king has no better access to the ear of God than the garbage man does. Do you believe that? Amen. I don't believe that the pastor has better access to God than the person who scrubs the toilets at Gospel Baptist Church. I don't believe that for a second. David, he understood, he understood exactly what was going on. He knew that he was poor. He knew that he was needy. He knew that God had been merciful to him. I think about the unforgiving servant in the parable that Jesus told. And Jesus said that, you know, a man owed, owed the, the master and the Lord a great sum of money. And if you go look back in history, we find that the sum of money was more than that servant could ever repay. Could ever repay. That's where we are. We are not rich towards God because of our own merits and our own goods. We are poor and we are needy people. Pastor Bill made a statement to me a few, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about uh, living check to check, living paycheck to paycheck. How many of you have ever lived paycheck to paycheck? Some, maybe even at this moment, living paycheck to paycheck. He says, living paycheck to paycheck is great. He says, because it makes you rely on God and you get close to God. What I like about David here is God didn't have to bring David down to a check-to-check balance every month. He didn't have to do that because David understood the position that it wasn't about those things, that he needed God even though he had money in the bank, even though he had all the best advisor, even though he had a large army, even though he had the best bodyguards protecting him. He knew that he needed God despite of his wealth, that he was poor. But he was also needy. He was also needy, verse 1 says, the king who had everything was still lacking something. The king that had everything was still lacking something. What that tells me is that no matter how much you have in this life, you're still going to need something that only God can supply. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't matter how much you've accomplished. There's holes in your life that only God can fill. And when we try to fill them with everything else, it it doesn't work. We come up dry. We come up empty. We come like the woman at the well who's looking for satisfaction and everything else. But the satisfaction is only found in Jesus Christ. So David recognized and he cries out, says, I'm poor. I'm needy. There's something that I need that you have. And there's people in our congregation even right now, that have needs. They have needs that a doctor can't prescribe something to fix. They have needs. They have pain that time has not been able to heal. They have issues going on in their mind that a psychiatrist can't just hand a pill to them and cause it to go away. 
There's pain that people go through, and we have great needs. Now we come in here and we put a smile on their face. I, I don't know the real you. You don't know the real, real me. But I do know that there's people who are suffering, who are in their day of trouble at this moment. And you can call out upon God just like David called out to God. We are a needy people, but we have a great God. So what do we do? That's why we try to bend down the ear of God. That's why we state our humility before him and we state our position. And then we cry for help, which is the next verse. He he has a cry for help. Verse two, three, and four says, preserve my soul for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. He has some requests here. He says, preserve my soul for I'm holy. David felt unsafe without the protection of the Lord. It wasn't about all the, the, military, uh, the military people that he had. It wasn't about his bodyguards that made him feel safe, that he had this big kingdom and he was sitting in the most safe, this most uh, uh, safe castle, if you would, out of anywhere else in all the land. He felt unsafe without the protection of God. And he, by the way, was not banking on his holiness. He says, for I am holy. I'll explain that in a minute. He wasn't banking on his holiness because in the next part, he says, save me. He says, save me. He's not relying on his holiness that that's what's gonna get it. He understands that it's only by, again, the next thing he requests is God's mercy. Have mercy, be merciful unto me. And David didn't deserve mercy, so he asked for it. By the way, we do not deserve mercy. Let us never think that somehow God owes us anything. He does not owe us anything at all. It's of God's mercies that we are not utterly consumed. Take it to heart, believe it. He also requests, he says, lift my spirit, lift my spirit. He says, rejoice, rejoice, the soul of thy servant. What in the world does that mean? Well, mentally, David was down in the dumps. He was at the bottom. He had no joy in his soul because of the troubles that he was facing and because there was evil men trying to hurt him and take his life. Mentally, he was down in the dumps. He didn't look for joy in the areas that we often try to find joy in. He didn't look for for joy at the bottom of a bottle, as many people do. He didn't look for joy in a woman that could fulfill his desires. He didn't look for joy in having more entertainment. No. What did he look for joy? He asked God to restore his spirit. David had a great understanding about who God was, his relationship to God, and he, because he understood these things, it, it gives us a great insight into to what I want my prayers to be like, what I want my faith to be like, and I hope you as well. Only our true comfort and true joy comes from God. But he also, I, I noticed some reminders in those verses as well, some reminders. For I am holy. He says, for I am holy. He makes some statements here about his position and his lifestyle and how he lives for God. And by the way, God already know, knows exactly who David was. 
God was not a stranger to David. God is not a stranger to you. He understands who you are. He understands that you're trying to live for God. But just because you, he knows those things doesn't mean that we don't communicate with him. It's part of our, it's part of our humanity that we do. I, I think of the story of Hezekiah in Sennacherib and the, the Assyrians were coming to try to take over Israel. And of course he gets a nasty letter, like a hate mail. You guys are gonna be defeated. Your God's a nobody. We're just gonna come and run you over. He had already taken some of the, the cities on the outskirts of town and they had already conquered some of the smaller um, villages and things. And Hezekiah was heartbroken. And the Bible says that Hezekiah took the, the letter that came in from the Assyrians and he went into the temple of God and he spread it out before the Lord. Pretty amazing. God already knew what was on that letter, did he not? We would agree, absolutely. But what was it? It was Hezekiah just being open to God and it was his humanity coming through. And like this, my wife knows that I love her, but do I still tell her I love her? Absolutely. Does my wife know that I need her? Yes, but I still tell her I need her. It's part of our humanity. And so he goes through these things and I love that his humanity kind of comes out even though this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he, he lists some of these things for I am holy. The same word holy, which is pronounced hasid in Hebrew, it's used 19 times in the Bible as the word saint, as the word saint. Maybe that gives you a better, a better perspective about how um, the meaning behind this. 19 times as the word saint, and that's the majority of the time in the Old Testament is used that way. Only about two or three times is it used actually to mean holy, like, like we would say without sin. So the idea behind that is that David, he's saying, I'm godly. I'm living godly. I'm trying to do good. I'm being a good person. I've been open. I've, I've given you my life. And it conveys the idea that of David's faithfulness. And how often do we as Christians cry out before God and say, God, I don't know why you've put me in this predicament, but I've been faithful. I've been faithful. I'm your servant. I'm your saint. And we're expressing ourselves before God. But he also says, I cry unto thee daily. I cry unto thee daily. I have people that call me up all the time and they just want to vent. We all probably know people that just like to vent and that's not a bad thing. And they vent unto me almost daily, daily. And I say, you need to talk to God about this. You need to vent to God about this. And many times they don't, but they need to vent to God. And David says, I'm cry unto you. God already knew that. I cry unto you daily. Many Christians, they go and they ask God for something, a breakthrough in their life, and they pray. They don't get the answer maybe they're looking for, which may be wait or not yet. And so they pray again. And they get the same type of answer and they say, okay, and they give up. They give up. That's not what David was doing here. It was, his, it was his lifestyle to cry unto God daily. And he's saying, God, I'm not just saying this one time. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you over and over and over. Would you hear me? Would you hear me? Please come through, save me from my enemies. It was a daily thing that he went through, but also we see that he says, I trust in thee. I trust in thee. David, he wasn't trusting it. Of course, as I mentioned in his bodyguards or his physical ability, David had some pretty amazing abilities. I mean, to, to kill a lion with your bare hands, 
That's pretty amazing. To kill a bear, to kill Goliath and the people he comes through. Saul's slain their thousands, but David's slain his ten thousands. And David throughout his life probably killed hundreds, if not thousands of people because God referred to David as a bloody man, as a man of war. But even though he had that reputation, he had those abilities, and he probably could have fended for himself, he still chose to trust in God. And he says, I'm not trusting in my position. I'm not trusting in what I have, my abilities. I'm trusting in you. And God, of course, already knew that. Do we rely more on doctors or medicine or the military to keep us safe from foreign invaders? Or do we rely on that gun, that, that gun right next to our nightstand, that that's what's keeping us safe at night if some burglar was to come in and to break in and try to cause harm to our family? Or do we trust God? I'm not saying don't take medicine. I'm not saying don't have a gun by your bed. Have three or four of them. Great. Save some bullets for me, though. They're hard to come by. Hey, I'm saying go to the doctor. I'm saying take medicine. I'm saying protect yourself, protect your family. But don't trust in those things. We must understand that our protection comes from God. Psalm says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman watcheth but in vain. We must understand that our protection, our safety is only under the umbrella of God. And it's not about our gifts and our abilities, but it comes from God and God alone. He says, unto thee, I lift up my soul. This was a statement of surrender saying, look, I, I've surrendered. You have my life. You have everything. Would you please hear me? Would you please come through for me in my time of trouble? But he switches now from crying unto the Lord to praising the, praising the Lord. And when troubles come, we ought to praise God. We ought to praise God. When something comes into your life that completely shatters your hopes and dreams, you ought to praise God. Jesus gave us this example. When he prayed, he gave the model prayer. What did he say? He said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He started out our mo the model prayer with praise towards God. And we don't just praise God in the good times. How shallow of a Christian faith is that? when we only praise God when the good things are coming into our lives, but we don't praise him when the bad things. It's like, Job, you know, do I, do I take good at the hand of God and not evil? Absolutely not. We must praise God. So what in the world did David have to praise God for? Verse five says, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto them that call upon thee. Jump down to verse eight. He says, among the gods, there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All the nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name, for thou art great and doest, dost wondrous things. Thou art God alone. I see here that he says in verse five, God is good. It's a great thing to say about God, to praise God. God is good. This has to do with God's nature. And God does not intend for evil to overtake us. He does have our best intentions at mind. And when we think that God is somehow the one tempting us with evil, that's not the case. Scripture confirms that that is not what happens. As pastor, I think, quoted on Wednesday night, James 1.13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. It does not come from God. 
God is good because he has a plan through the hardships, through the wildernesses that we go through. He has a plan, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's the key, that's the caveat, to them that love God. The unsaved people that don't love God have no care for God whatsoever. It's not working out for good for them, but to us believers who love God and that lift up our soul unto God, it's working out for good for us. And David, he recognizes the nature of God and praises and says, God, you are good, even though I have enemies that are trying to kill me. God, you are good. He says, you're merciful. Two places in the Psalm, David, he reiterates a passage that actually Moses wrote back in Exodus 34, 6. And and Moses said, Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Some similarities there about God's mercy. He also, he makes the statement that no other gods, he says, there's no other gods that are like unto you. No other gods compare to our God. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that there is no God beside the God Jehovah. I understand that. There are a lot of false gods. There are a lot of people who are crying out day after day, night after night, week after week. They're they're hurting their bodies to try to appease a God that does not even exist. But he makes a statement here, and I believe David understood that as well, that the only true God, the only real God that's out there is the God of the Bible, is the Lord. But he makes a statement because of of who he is and the environment that they were in. And in America, we don't have maybe a ton of other gods that people worship such as they did back here in the nation of Israel. Remember the children of Israel, they come into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, and they were supposed to rid the land of Canaan from all enemies, they were supposed to run, drive everybody out. They were supposed to kill them all. Of course, they didn't actually do that. Even to this day, they've never possessed all the land that God had intended for them. And so those heathen nations that were surrounding them, they lived among them. They paid consequences dearly for that. But David was experienced in these other gods. And so the, the gods that he was familiar with is Marduk of the Babylonians, Milcom of the Ammonites, Molech of the Ammonites, Balaam of the Canaanites, Ashtoreth of the Canaanites, Camos of the Moabites. He says, there's people out there that are all around me worshiping these false gods. But there's none that even compare to you. There's none that compare to you whatsoever. He also says, no one comes close to measuring up to God's greatness. Verse 10, he says, for thou, Lord, art good. And that's verse five. And then he says in verse number 10, for thou art great. He says, not only are you good, but you're great. And there's a difference there. Good has to do with God's nature, but the greatness has to do with God's power and his ability. And I'm glad that God's not just only good, but he has the ability to do great things. Because if he was good but had no ability, there really wouldn't be much that he could get accomplished. By the way, if he was great but he was not good, wow, we would have a tyrant for a God. But he is both. He's combined equally with both of those things. And to be good and great is like this. God is, God is good and he is merciful. He has our best intentions at mind and he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. That is a good God. But he is also great because he's able to make it happen. God is not only good, but he is great. 
and he has the ability to do something about it. Fourthly, we see he has a desire for service. He says in verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord. I'm gonna, I wanna walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I'll praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. These prideful, arrogant men seeking after David's life, but he had a desire to serve God. Most Christians, they want God to be like a, a genie in a bottle that they pull out when they get a hard time and they... My one wish is that you release me from these troubles. And then when they're released, they want to take God and put him back inside his little box and be done with him. I don't think you're going to get your prayers answered very much if that's the way you live your Christian life. He had a desire for service. He said, teach me thy ways. When I was a 12-year-old boy, my mom and dad get a phone call. My mom and dad had gotten in a car accident. They were going through downtown Little Rock, and they were going through a green light, but a drunk driver ran through, sped through the red light, T-boned them. They did about a 360. My mom's head smashed up against the side window of the passenger, uh, the passenger uh, window there, and she got rushed to the hospital. And so as a 12-year-old boy, I remember, what did I do? I hit the ground at my house. I was praying, God, please save my mom. Whatever you do, I'll do anything. Save my mom. And I got up from that and I thought, what in the world am I doing? I wanted nothing to do with God at that point in my life. I knew that the words that were coming out of my mouth, they were just going up into thin air. I wanted God to be the genie in the bottle. I wanted God to only help me when I wanted something. It wasn't about my relationship with him. It was all about what God could do for me and nothing about what I could do for God. David did not have this perspective here. He wasn't trying to cut a deal with God, as many of us do. God, if you heal my, my child, I'll serve you forever. Many people, I assume in this room, have prayed prayers similar to that. God, if you come through for me, I'll live for you. No doesn't work like that. We don't cut deals with God. David, he had a desire for it. He said, teach me thy way. I want to learn more. I want to know how I can walk in your truth. But he also, he wanted God to answer his prayer so that God would be glorified. This is such a key point to the whole thing. This is my last point, for God to be glorified. His intentions, his motives were good One of the theme of this prayer in Psalms, or actually I would say one of the themes of David's prayers in general that I've noticed is that he often says, come through for me, God. Show me something so that the world will know that you are God, that God's name would be uplifted. Do you notice how he kind of leaves himself out there? Many times I come to God and I ask God, to answer my prayers, but I only ask God to answer my prayers for me. It's all, it's all about me. May it not be all about us. 
May it be that God answers our prayers so that the world will know that there is a God in heaven. He had a perspective. I I know people that they have pain and they have troubles and they have heartaches going on right now. And it's all about me, me, me. Release me, God, from this. But how about release me, God, and do it in a way that it can be undeniable that there is a God in heaven and that the world, as he says, show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed so that the heathen people can have undeniable evidence. They can't turn to modern medicine. They can't turn to intellect, whatever you have, but that the only explanation of the thing is that God did it. That's the way we ought to pray. When we go to God and we have a specific, we have a need that we need him to come through, it ought to be that God's name would be lifted up and glorified among the world. What's your motivation for God delivering your problems? Is it just the freedom from suffering, from pain? Are you interested in God being uplifted and God being glorified? Are you troubled tonight? Do you have a need that only God can fix, that money can't solve, medicine can't solve, that other people can't solve, a need that only God can solve? Verse seven says, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. If you're dealing with trouble, go home, read through this Psalm a few times, allow it to speak to you, allow the Holy Spirit to come work into your heart and show you how you can serve God and how you can have a better relationship with him and you can get some of the pride out of our life and we can praise him for how good he is and how great he is and that God's name would be uplifted. I believe that we have access to the ear of God today. May we not waste it. May we not squander it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for David and how you picked such a perfect person to pen these words. And we can look into the life of David and see how you've comforted him in trouble, how you came through when there was no hope other than the salvation from you. And in our situations and in our troubles, some are having great times in their life right now. Some are going, some are at the bottom. Some are at rock bottom. Whatever situation we are in life and whatever place we are in life, we ask that you would remind us of Psalm 86. And may we see the similarities between David's life and between our life. May we trust in you through all of it. May it not be in our abilities or our talents or the talents of others, but may it totally and wholly be upon you. We thank you for what God is doing in our midst and how you're speaking to our hearts. And if there's one person here who's not totally sure about their salvation, may they know that God is a merciful God. He's good and he is great. And he is willing and able to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.